The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Ritter Road Football Podcast, otherwise known as the most important podcast in the universe. My name is Josh Norris. You know that, hopefully. Later on, we have Patrick Darty, Roto Pat, joining me to break down the Sunday matchups. It's a fun second weekend of the playoffs. But to start off, we have Evan Silva. Evan, it was a fun first week, um, interesting first week, some un- Expected things happened, like a quarterback catching a touchdown pass that he threw. Uh, doubt I oversee that again, but potentially. Um, all right, Evan, let's start off with the Falcons at the Eagles. That's a 435 game in your matchups column, which you can find on rotoworld.com, where you list that the Falcons are three points favorites, even though that they are on the road. We haven't seen the Eagles, uh, you know, for at least a week. So, what do the Eagles do, Evan, to win this game? Yeah, and we haven't seen the Eagles play all out with their starters since week 16. Nick yeah. Foles did get about a quarter in in week 17, and then Nate Sudfeld came in uh, and you know just checked it down the whole game. He had a long run, uh, but I, I think we're going to see full, four quarters of Nick Foles, uh, so get excited uh, over his <laughs> last five quarters of action. He is 23 of 49, passing 46.9% for 202 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, He had that four-touchdown game in week 15 against the Giants, and then things just started to go downhill. That's often what you'll see. uh, The best example would be Blaine Gabbert this past season of where a quarterback can come in, a backup quarterback will come in, he'll have short-term success, uh, and then – you know, the defenses will start to expose his weaknesses. Just as the sample size grows, he start, the, the backup quarterbacks start to struggle more and more to the point where, you know, you, you can't really even play him. The Eagles have to play Nick Foles against this Falcons defense. I think that there are a lot of uh, matchup advantages that the Eagles have against the, the Falcons. Desmond mm. Trufant hasn't played particularly well lately. Ted Ginn. Uh, had a long touchdown against him in week 16. Devin Funches had a long catch against him in week 17. Last week, Robert Woods did most of his work against Desmond Trufant. Uh, And then uh, Alshon Jeffrey has a significant size advantage against Robert Alford, 5'10", 188-pound guy 
uh, Zach Ertz, you know, his, his matchup isn't like statistically appealing necessarily. Uh, but we know that w- what Zach Ertz can do when uh, the quarterback can get him the rock. Right. Uh, and then uh, Nelson Aguilar, he had a breakout third NFL season. Uh, after two really bad years playing in the slot and where and we talked about this last week with Cooper Cup uh the the Falcons very vulnerable in the slot they were last year as well uh Brian Poole I think got he wasn't as even as good as he was as a rookie uh, in the slot Cooper Cup had 8 for 69 and a touchdown against them last week Nelson Aguilar runs 86% of his routes in the slot uh so Nelson Aguilar is a guy that I'm I'm looking at uh, in daily fantasy this week, ultimately, ultimately, I think that uh, this game is going to have to go through Jay Ajayi for the hmm. for the Eagles to uh, win. Let let me interrupt you here for a moment because I just want to say this about to me the major major difference, and there are many, but the biggest difference between Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, and it's the ability to convert third and longs. Right, like yes. Carson Wentz was unbelievable at converting in those situations. Like his conversion rate in third in 10 plus yards was better than like 17 or 18 teams third in anything. Like ponder that, consider that a moment. That's ridiculous. And we know that Nick Foles, and I believe in the week 17 game or whatever, the last one he truly played, like he was like one for whatever in converting third downs. Um, that might've improved during the game, but at some point it was like that. So my point is this, like they, they have to get, in situations that Nick Foles can convert in. And so that is kind of changing the way that they played offense a lot because they had a playmaker at quarterback, and I would say now that they don't. And, Evan, I would also contend that the Falcons are kind of turning into or coming into their best form of the season right now um, in terms of their, yep. their defensive players flying around Defensively, the field. absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah, over their last seven games, they've held opponents to 16.9 points per game. Yeah, uh, I mean they they did this last year too. I mean they were pretty vulnerable uh, throughout the course of the season, but as the season progressed, they kept getting better and better. They stayed healthy. I mean they're, they they had one of the health absolutely, and it's 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 very simple analysis. But staying healthy, I mean, and if you just look at the teams like across the league that are the healthiest, right? I mean, look at the Rams; they're still in it, and yep. and the Rams were extremely healthy for most of the season. And quickly here, Evan. I also want to give credit to Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov and Scott Pioli and whoever else is there, right? Because I think the the Falcons, especially defensively, are one of the best at identifying traits that they want their players to have and then picking those, right? They want an aggressive player. They want one with a great first step. They want one, uh, you know, who just flies the football and maybe make mistakes, but he does it full blast. And, and, and just aggressive guys. Like, you see that with Tack McKinley, who's really coming on in the second half. I mean, Deion Jones, we know, Devondre Campbell, Keanu Neal, DeMonte Casey on, on special teams as well. Like, these guys just run and hit, and their first step is ridiculous. And, and if you ever listen to the post-draft press conferences of the Falcons, you know that that's a highlight, and that's something that they – it's a critical factor that they look for. Yeah, they are very athletic on defense. I mean, they have one of the fastest defenses in football. Uh, I think that you know the the Rams did average over seven yards per carry against them last week, uh, and I, I I think that the Eagles, you know, in their current state with their quarterback situation, I mean, everything that Carson Wentz does well, 
like Nick Foles does poorly. I mean, Nick <laughs> Foles is not an athlete. Right. He doesn't really have a strong arm. He doesn't have the ability to extend plays. You know, he's he's just like the, he's, the he's opposite pitch catch. of Carson Wentz. Yeah. So they need to get the ball to Jay Ajayi, and I think that uh, their Week 17 uh, running back usage kind of may foreshadow what we are going to see uh, in their first playoff game because in that final game, they didn't play Jay Ajayi. They put him on bubble in bubble wrap, and they played LeGarrette Blunt and Wendell Smallwood. They didn't even play Corey Clement. Uh, that hmm. much. I think that we are going to see maybe more of a one-two punch of Jay Ajayi and Corey Clement uh, in the divisional round. And Jay Ajayi, I think he they need to put the offense on his back in this game. Interesting. Okay, what about the Falcons offensively against the Eagles? I've been really, really, really impressed for multiple weeks. Uh, first round of the playoffs and even the week before then when the Falcons had to win to get in. Um how, how great Matt Ryan has been in terms of facing pressure and disruption. Like he's getting moved off the spot, but he's still converting uh, in terms of receptions and passes completed down the field. Yeah. And the Rams put a lot of heat on him last week. I mean, they immediately had three, sacks, from Aaron seven, Donald. three sacks, seven quarterback hits. Aaron Donald was in the backfield constantly. The Eagles have a player uh, similar to Aaron Donald, just in terms of the ability to, create interior disruption i mean aaron donald's what like six foot and fletcher cox is like six foot four um but you know they're they're built differently uh but they they can create interior pressure as well uh the the thing about the eagles that kind of stood out to me late in the season was that they were very inconsistent i mean they gave up 24 to the seahawks 35 to the rams 29 to the giants that week 15 game against the giants still kind of stands out to me like how the heck did they let that happen? Uh, but ultimately, I think that we are going to see them rebound and and be very disruptive in the in this game. They led the NFL in quarterback hits. They were fourth in interceptions. I mean, I, I just think that this is like an old school. This needs to be an old school game plan from the Eagles. Lean on your running game. Lean on your defense. Uh, and uh, it's I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult this week for Matt Ryan. Uh, I do think that he has good matchups uh, with his. Uh, particularly with Julio Jones uh, in the Eagles last four non week 17 games where they were playing all their starters. They gave up seven touchdowns to opposing wide receivers. Jalen Mills gave up five of those seven touchdowns. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian is smart. Uh, I think that he needs to get Julio Jones using pre-snap motion, whatever uh, to get Julio Jones matched on Jalen Mills. Uh, I think that that can be a, a significant advantage in Atlanta's favor um, in the backfield. I mean, it's going to be tough for Tevin Coleman and uh, Devonte Freeman. I think they're going to have to make individual big plays. Uh, they haven't gotten very much in the passing game out of Austin Hooper lately. Uh, Muhammad Sanu has a tough, tough matchup theoretically in the slot against Patrick Robinson. Although uh, Doug Baldwin, Cooper cup and Sterling Shepard in those weeks, 13 through 15 games where the Eagles uh, were giving up a lot of points. All those guys had good games. Uh, so I, I think that for the for the Falcons, it's going to come down to a lot of individual plays. They're going to have to make big plays, and I think that they can do that with Julio if they are proactive and kind of creative and get him into favorable matchups, particularly against Jalen Mills. So with all of that said, do you think it's fair that the Eagles are home underdogs in the second round of the playoffs to the sixth seed? I mean – 
like lines that are created by Vegas are uh, made more efficient by the betting market. Yeah. So it, it, it really has nothing to do with like fairness or, or anything like that. It is, uh, you know, what do people who have money riding on these games think? And if there was some sort of big, you know, if, if there was like, if it was clear that the sports books came out and set a bad line, like the people who have money invested in the games would hit the other side really hard, which yeah. we have not seen. Actually, we, we've seen, if anything, a very small movement toward the Falcons. I picked the Eagles to win uh, in my write up because I think that I think that their their defense is going to uh, potentially dominate this game. And I think that Jay Ajayi can play really well. Uh, but I, I think that it's it's a toss up game. And really, it's not it's not surprising to me that. You know, the betting market doesn't have very much confidence in a team that is quarterbacked right now by Nick Foles. By the way, you can check out that write-up over at rotoworld.com. It's Evan's matchups column. Basically, like every single angle of the game is taken care of and outlined for you just to read and just to know before these games kick off. Um, and I'm talking to you, by the way, Adam, Josh, and Peter, and Trevor, and Alex, and Chris, and Casey, and Jonathan. If you are not subscribed to this very podcast, do it right now because I know you're enjoying it. All right, Evan, let's move and shift over to the 815 Eastern game on Saturday. Ooh, it's the Tennessee Titans against the New England Patriots. Patriots are heavy favorites, 13-point favorites at this moment. Uh, Evan, the Titans won last week, but it certainly wasn't pretty. It certainly wasn't a good first half. And so what, I, I mean, I guess we can start with this since I let into it that way. What's the avenue of success for them potentially to upset the Patriots in a, a monstrous potential upset? Um, if there is a one. Lot of, a lot of Derrick Henry. I okay. mean, a lot of Derrick Henry. Because the Patriots, they gave up 4.4 yards per carry to opposing RBs in their last five games. They actually got a little better in run defense uh, later in the season. Uh, but they're going to be getting back Allen Branch, their massive nose tackle. He was like 340 pounds coming out of Michigan. I think, like I talked to Ross Tucker about this, he thinks he's like 360 these days. Um, you know, so it's not necessarily that great of a matchup. Uh, but the the Patriots linebackers have been vulnerable uh, in run defense all season. You know, running in there like they lost Dante High, Hightower early in the process. They've been running out uh, Marquise Flowers and Alandon Roberts lately. Uh, but Kyle Van Noy is going to be back uh, this week. Uh, th- none of those guys like are, are you know big time run defenders. Um, and Derrick Henry. You know, I, I, the Patriots almost like invite you to, to try to run on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may be even playing into the Patriots' hands. I mean, the, the, the Titans are just going to have to play a perfect game. Yeah. But I think it's going to have to be fueled by Derrick Henry. Uh, I looked, I went back and looked at all of his games where he's had double digit carries versus all the games where he's had fewer than double digits. Uh, and his yards per carry average jumps from 3.97 to 4.79 when he gets the ball more. I think that there is uh, something to the notion that a running back can get into a rhythm, that they can wear down a defense as the as a game progresses. And I think that if anybody, uh, if any back is, is going to be like that, it would be a guy who's 247 pounds like Derrick Henry. I mean, I just they, they need to get him the ball in the passing game too. That was another area where the Patriots were 
uh, had some susceptibility. I mean, the, over the past two weeks, Derrick Henry has only seen four targets, but he's caught three of them for uh, gains of 66 for a touchdown, 29 and six yards. You know, I, I hope that Mike Malarkey and his coaching staff are willing to embrace the fact that Derrick Henry actually can catch right. uh, despite, despite his limited resume in that area uh, because the Patriots gave the third most receiving yards to running backs on the season. Uh, and you, you want to get Derrick Henry in space. You do not want to have him running into – I mean, I'm sure that the Patriots are going to try to – like because they know the scouting report on Derrick Henry is that – he needs a little bit of room, and so they're going to try to not give him room on the ground. But one way that you can get him some room is to get him out in space, and you know, no DB wants to tackle him. I remember on that 66-yard screen pass score against the Jaguars, A.J. Bouye wanted none of him uh, with a full head of steam about 30 yards downfield. He, just, he pretty much ran the other way. Neither did Revis uh, last week either. That's right, um, good point. And by the way, I'm I'm just stunned that you didn't mention that the path to victory for the Titans are like two big Taewon Taylor touchdowns down the field. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hurt. So by the way, speaking of our BFFs, uh, Evan, it sounds like Rex Burkhead might be hobbled for this one. It's been like up and yeah. down practice reports. Uh, seems like things were progressing well during the final day of practice. But like, what does that mean? We have no idea. So is this just going to be the Dion Lewis show again? I'm tending to, to lean that way. I, I hit up a couple of pa- Patriots beat writers on Twitter, and they think that Deion Lewis is going to be the clear lead back. He kind of earned that. Very good. Deion Lewis, Deion Lewis uh, kind of came into the league as like a passing game or a, someone that people viewed as like a passing game specialist potentially. Actually has not been used uh, like that. It's been like inconsistent on and off. Uh, whether he's been getting targets in the passing game. Uh, But in in those last two games that the Patriots played, week 16 and 17, and they were meaningful games for the Patriots, uh, who were trying to lock up the the AFC's number one seed, and they did. Uh, Deion Lewis had five and seven targets in those games, ran 21 and 20 routes. Those were both season highs for him. Uh, they need to get him involved in the passing game. I mean, that was a mistake that the Chiefs made against the Titans last week. Did not get the ball to their RBs enough uh, against the um, against the Titans, who during the regular season gave up the most yards to opposing RBs and got shelled by Todd Gurley and Leonard Fournette in their final two regular season games in the passing game. Uh, I mean, we, we need to see a lot of Deion Lewis here in the passing game. I think that Rex Burkhead is going to be limited uh, if he is active, I think that James White, especially if Rex Burkett is inactive, uh, plays a bigger role. You go back and look at the games where Rex Burkhead uh, was inactive during the season and James White was active. James White saw three more targets per game. Uh, his targets per game jumped from 4.3 to 7.3. That's significant. Uh, especially in a matchup like this against a team that struggles to defend passing game backs. But, you know, I think that this is going to be a game where we see Tom Brady tee it up like 40, 45 times because the Titans have a very – they're lopsided defense in that they're very giving uh, in the short and intermediate areas mm-hmm. of the passing game. 
they will limit your uh, your the big playability of your passing game, and they're very stout against the run. So you want to hurt them with Deion Lewis. You want to hurt them with James White. You want to hurt them with Rex Burkhead uh, if he's healthy. I think that Danny Amendola is an interesting DFS play this week, and then a lot, a lot of Gronk. What about a lot of Brandon Cooks? Because like the start of last week saw a number of targets go in the way of Tyreek Hill. He dropped a lot of them. But I feel like yep. what Tyreek Hill can do, Brandon Cooks in many ways can do as well. And like they were picking on Adoree Jackson last week. Yeah, I mean, I and you know Tyreek Hill still had a productive game in the box score, seven right. for eighty-seven, but he left a ton of yards on the field, as you mentioned, with drops. I think that Brandon Cooks is sort of like a in, in DFS, sort of like a bet on talent, bet on his ability to rip a big play, even against lower probability. Uh, and that's what he would be. I don't think he's going to be highly owned uh, in daily fantasy this week, so he makes for a great tournament play. Uh, but I, I think that you know, just from a strictly from a matchup standpoint, where these teams have shown strengths and weaknesses, uh, I think that Amendola will uh, be involved. I think that and we'll and we'll see a ton of Gronk and Chris Hogan comes back right this week. He drew 57% of his targets this season on slot routes. Uh, that, and he also was heavily involved in scoring position. The Titans gave up the uh, fifth most touchdowns to opposing wide receivers in 2017. Uh, I just want to close it on this. Um, any thoughts on the Titans keeping Mike Malarkey because he won last week's playoff game? I mean, I think it's ridiculous. But, you know, the in the NFL, it's like, they don't teams don't even know like what is in their best interest. Yeah. They are just extremely reactionary. It is you know to to small sample sizes. It is um, a league where we have you know four members of the Turner family on the Pan- in, in the Panthers organization. I mean it's it's a cocoon, man. It's not like it's not a, a big picture thinking league. Uh, it's, you know, all the owners are old, crusty dudes. We don't have any young, innovative owners. Um, and, you know, that's where we are. That's just the reality of the situation. I think it's ridiculous, but that's that's where we are. And speaking of the Turner family, a uh, shout out to Brody Logan, who said, while the Saints are preparing for the Vikings, uh, the Panthers are preparing for family feud. So I thought that was a great <laughs> 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 Yeah, and ultimately in this Patriots-Titans game, man, like it is a battle of Bill Belichick's mind against Mike Malarkey's mind. Yeah, I wonder which which one we might go with, Evan. I wonder. (laughs) All right, so again, if you enjoyed this first half, subscribe, because right up after this break, uh, we have Rotopat with the Sunday matchups. And we're back here with Patrick Doherty. God, Pat, I always think about a question to ask you. I have none. Uh, okay, Pat, what's your favorite thing to do in the snow? Not going it. I love that answer. I actually like the snow. I don't mind the cold weather. I like the, my my true answer is that when it's really cold, I like to go out and take like deep breaths. I think it feels good. Cleansing. Are, are you um, like a, a, a meditative type? Is that a word? Meditative? Meditative? Um, no, not really. I've, you know, I've dabbled in it, but no. Have you ever done sensory deprivation tanks? No. I have. You should try it. Sounds like something like Tiger Woods would do like when he was obsessed with Navy SEALs training. Possibly. I've done it, I think, four or five times. And, what I is mean, that? You know what it is, right? Not really, no. So, so all, all that you do is they have like these 
they kind of look like big enclosed showers. I mean, they're all different types. Some of them are pods, whatever. But it just has like a thousand pounds of salt in it. And so because of the buoyancy, you float. So it's like denser than the than the Dead Sea. Um, and so all that you do since it's dark, since there's no noise, since the temperature of the water is uh, close to the temperature of your body, uh, it's, so, it's supposed to, what it says, deprive you of your senses. And then you just lay in there for 45 minutes, an hour, and kind of like lose, not lose your mind, but like go outside of you know, your current thought process and stuff. And so like, you don't know how much time has passed, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting. It's, I would suggest it to everyone. Um, but there like a way you can get it out if you like freak out. Yeah. Like places usually have like lights, uh, that you can press or, um, and obviously you, you are naked in there. Um, or (laughs) something to hit music, blah, blah, blah. But it's 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 just interesting. Yeah, I just saw an article about this like literally today about it oh, being really? a trend in St. Louis, but it, I don't think it was referred to that in the headline as a sensory. I, they called it something floating. else, new age. They called it floating. But um, no, I haven't done that, Josh. You should try it. Try it. Take an afternoon after the season's over. Uh, because yeah, it's the it, season, and and know, the so. coolest part, and I I don't want to you know everyone has their own experiences, but the coolest part to me was once you are done and you walk outside. Uh, back to where it's light and people are busy and blah, blah, blah. You kind of think like you know a secret that they don't know because that that's kind of when it really hits you that you have done something and experienced something different than a lot of people have. So uh, anyways, just I would suggest it for everyone out there. Um, okay, Pat, let's talk about, you know, your run-of-the-mill football. And the 12.05 game <laughs> on Sunday, that's Eastern time. If everyone else out there, you can figure out and adjust accordingly. It's at 105 Eastern, Josh. I think it says twelve oh five. One on, five Eastern Josh. on on Evans uh, matchups column. So are you telling me Evans wrong? He wrote it in Central Time. They would never play a playoff game though at noon Eastern, okay. like eleven Central. So. All right, I'll believe you. Just get it right, Josh. Uh, I blame this on Evan. It's never my fault. Okay, it is the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Pittsburgh Steelers. We all know what happened earlier this season when they played. Ben Roethlisberger threw five interceptions, and Jacksonville's defense was as good as it's ever been. Um, Pat, we saw Jacksonville win last week in an offense in, in a game that was devoid of offense. So since we haven't seen the Steelers play with their starters in quite some time, what should we expect from the Steelers going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense? By the way, before I talk about this, I, I only agreed to do the pod on the condition that we would dedicate at least one hour to every one of Norv Turner's family members <laughs> now on the Panthers coaching staff. And I feel like, I feel like I've been misled. Um, I, I kind of want to do one of those DNA balls. tests that you like swab your your cheek and and then you send it away and it tells you see who your family tree is to see if like my tenth distant cousin is North Turner and so I can get a job. <laughs> so you're, like, you're the Panthers tight ends coach this time next week. Exactly. Um, exactly. J- Jaguar Steelers. I mean, what's there really to say? I mean, I don't think of all the games this weekend. I don't think even more than less than the Eagles. I really don't think the Jaguars have a chance to win despite what they did to Ben earlier in the season. You know, the game was kind of a turning point for Ben Roethlisberger. He talked about basically like, do I suck now after the game? And the answer was no. After that, he didn't. Um, and the 10 games after that, he got his yards per attempt back above eight. 
Uh, he had a 22 to seven touchdown interception ratio. That game was kind of a before that, including the Jags game. But in the, his first five games of the season, he was only averaging six and a half yards per attempt. So that game kind of seemed to like wake Ben up into the 2017 season. And I'm not like a Jaguars defense truther. I think they're for real. I mean, they proved it again last week, but is how can you win in Pittsburgh in a playoff game with Blake Bortles as your quarterback? And we're not going to get a repeat of like crazy legs Bortles this week. Uh, the Steelers, I think allowed like the fifth fewest quarterback rushing yards. And I just don't know what the formula will be for the Jaguars. Maybe it will be a quieter day than usual for the Steelers offense, but well rested. They'll all be operating on over two weeks rest. Um, I mean, even the Bills got a few, you know, big plays against the Jags last week. So maybe it'll take a while for the Steelers to salt the game away. But unless the Jags can literally repeat what they did early in the season and get five interceptions, uh, I don't see how they how they spring the upset. And the game and the teams are slightly different than they were when they met previously. Like obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster is an important part of the Steelers' offense now, and obviously the Steelers are without. Uh, their middle linebacker in Ryan Shazier. So I would say the biggest thing would be for the Jaguars to kind of copy what the Ravens did, right? And have Alex Collins, which was with the Ravens, get to the edge, and hopefully they can get Leonard Fournette to the edge because right now the Pittsburgh linebackers, off-ball linebackers, should say not their edge rushers, are slow. Um, that's probably their best chance to win. But, I mean, the Blake Bortles stuff last year was just, like, ridiculous. You know, and, and like even Fournette last week. I mean, the Bills' run right. defense, you know, kind of kind of a seesaw all year. But Fournette, they you know, exploitable uh, run defense basically. And Leonard Fournette, you know, had another this mired in like this two or three month slump at this point. And yeah, unless Leonard Fournette wakes up, uh, unless Blake Bortles can you know get to like two hundred yards passing and avoid turning the ball over, I just don't know what the formula is. I, minus I've, I've seen two some to three defensive like, touchdowns come to the defense of Blake Bortles recently. And it's ridiculous. Like, why should you? (laughs) Really, why should you? Some of the passes he missed in that game were indefensible. Okay, here's a stat for you, okay? Look at next-gen stats. 27.5% of Cam Newton's targets last week were to receivers in less than or one yard of, of space, okay? So it was tight coverage. That was the highest of the weekend. That was the highest of any average... Um, of the season, okay? Last week for Blake Bortles, 4.5% of his were in that area in terms of aggressive throws, and he still was awful. Like, still was yeah, awful. Just, These guys were open, just, and he couldn't even hit yeah, them. He's, he's playing with zero confidence, and he kind of got away with, like, the Alex Smith trick last week. Like, have you know, he didn't have confidence he could make the throws, so I'm just going to tuck and run and take him by surprise. And, you know, he ran a little bit this season, but I don't think – he had 10 attempts last week. I think previously he didn't have more than like five or six. And, you know, the Steelers are going to be you – know, they sure watched that film with great interest. Like, oh, our, our boy Blake's going to take off now? Like, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be ready for that. Right. It's, and, it's one of those that works one time and then yeah. shouldn't work a second time. Uh, if you're in to his NFL credit, playoffs. I mean, it was a good time to pull for it sure. out of the bag. <laughs> it was like, for sure. It was all they had going. But, yeah, I don't think that uh, lightning will strike twice this weekend. Uh, what about Antonio Brown? Obviously, difficult matchup against Jalen Ramsey. Difficult matchup against A.J. A- Boye and those safeties as well. Would you expect 
Antonio Brown to get over 100 receiving yards in this game? And is that necessary for the Steelers to win? I think he... I might say no. I mean, I think that the Steelers might do the thing, like the 49ers, what the 49ers did, kind of try to rip them relentlessly underneath. The first time they played, they kind of maybe tried to do that already. Le'Veon Bell had 10 receptions, but I think maybe I would choose Le'Veon Bell to lead the Steelers in receiving this weekend. I love that. Even against uh, Jalen Ramsey, obviously, I will not be surprised whatsoever if Antonio Brown... Went past 100 yards, but yeah, if I was betting on that, I would probably take the under. You know, like six catches, 60-yard kind of day for Antonio. Make some big chain-moving grabs, but yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling a Le'Veon Bell game. Do you expect the Steelers to score over 20 points in this one? Yeah, I do. Between 20 and like 27, okay. like 20, 20, 24, 25, I mean... I just Blake Bortles is probably going to set them up in good field position too many times for that not to happen. And you mentioned um, you mentioned Le'Veon, and I just always go back to one time during the season when I, it was like a Monday night game or a Sunday night game or something, and I was up by like eighteen points or sixteen points uh, heading into a, <laughs> finishing up a matchup, and I was like, okay, you know, if Le'Veon just doesn't do a lot, I can still win <laughs> this he, game. If he doesn't catch literally 24 passes. And Pat, what it was, was like he didn't get rushing yards in the first half. But every time Ben was in trouble, he would just like dump it off for like two-yard gain, four-yard gain, three-yard gain, six-yard gain. And those like chunks just added up over and over and over again. And he had like the quietest 25-point performance I've ever seen. But that's just how good Le'Veon Bell is in both the running game and the passing game. That he doesn't have to like have big plays. But then just those little dump-offs add up over and over and over again. Um, so I'm yeah, he had, he, had, he had like a death by 1,000 paper cuts right. season, basically, <laughs> to opposing teams. Uh, you couldn't move on? I guess so, yeah. You okay. know, so, so Jags, I mean, yeah, I, f- I feel bad because the Jags defense deserves better, but yeah. uh, got to find a quarterback. Hey, it's this own team's fault. Like, imagine having that defense on the roster and then not even trying to improve the quarterback position at all. During the offseason. Not one. And the options the options were limited. There's someone who never got signed that would have been an upgrade, in my opinion. Right. But you can you can kind of could have taken a quarterback with the what, number four overall selection, whatever they were. Or they could have. You know, they really could have, you know, at the very least, done the typical second, third round dart throw. Right. And Which they you know, maybe Davis maybe Davis Webb is leading the Jacksonville Jaguars into the AFC championship game in an alternate history of the 2017 off season and season. But no, you will we see Chad Henney this weekend. Do you think? Ooh, kind of like the Tua Tago Viola Viola <laughs> of, of the NFL <laughs> is Chad Henney this weekend. Chad, Chad Henney is this generation's Tua. Um, <laughs> He's the Blake Benjamin Mortal. Button Tua. Yeah, Blake Bortles' first half, I mean, is anything like his whole game against the Bills. I mean, they're going to have to seriously think about it. Okay, so next is the New Orleans Saints at the Minnesota Vikings. Evan says this is a 340 game, but that's actually a 440 game here on the Beast Coast. Uh, (laughs) So we saw the Saints last week, and Pat, we kind of predicted exactly how that game would go, you know? Uh, We knew that the Panthers were going to try to shut down Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, which they did. God, I swear it's every single train passing tonight. I apologize to everyone <laughs> out there. But I swear it's nonstop trains. Um, anyways, the Panthers did shut down that running game. And so both 
you and I joked that, okay, now they just put it in a Hall of Fame quarterback's hands and allow him to work against a defense and a secondary that hasn't been great. And look what happened. They put up a ton of points. Um, so, Pat, I guess we expect the Vikings defense to do the exact same thing, right? Because they have a better secondary, but try to shut down again. Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, li- limit them to under, what, 60 yards rushing and win the game that way. Yeah, they're going to have to – it's you know one of the craziest things – We've heard a few times this season, but they're going to try to make Drew Brees beat them. Uh, Graham Barfield had an amazing stat earlier Thursday, where uh, in the in the Vikings' eight home games this season, they allowed 2.82 yards per carry and 55 rushing yards per game. So, just completely eliminated opposing rushing attacks. Uh, with passing attacks, they mostly eliminated two, and more interceptions and touchdowns allowed. Um, they allowed only eight offensive touchdowns and eight home games. But, you know, in the playoffs, it's not just Bill Belichick that tries to take away what the opposing team does best. It's kind of what everybody tries to do. And the Saints rode the running game all year. The The Panthers, you know, showed that the formula has some merit, um, like that you can maybe shut down the running game, but they didn't effectively <clears throat> shut down Drew Brees enough. But the Vikings have better personnel in that department. And I think that, yeah, their primary focus would be erasing the run and then kind of like daring uh, Drew Brees to beat them, which, you know, future Hall of Famer, maybe he will. Right. But uh, I think that will absolutely be the formula for the Vikings this weekend. I'm very interested to see how the Minnesota Vikings offense looks because Case Keenum's out, definitely had a fantastic season, right? And has looked better than we've ever seen him. Um, the last time these two teams played was week one, correct? And that's when Sam Bradford made those ridiculous throws. We were all excited to see what Sam Bradford had in store this, this <laughs> season with Adam Thielen. You remember that? And Stefan did. I do. And, and it's like, oh, here it is. The real Sam Bradford's here. And then he doesn't play the rest of the season. Uh, so, Pat, can Case Keenum replicate those ridiculous throws that Bradford had and take advantage of top flight receivers in Adam Thielen and Stefan Dix? I doubt it. Uh, we've seen, we've talked, we talked a lot about the Saints defense for some reason on this podcast, you and me, where um, we don't think they're overrated necessarily, but the, uh, I think people have gotten carried away with talking about their improvement. It's still like kind of a very middle of the road defense, right. but the Saints, uh, I mean, to, to win, they have to, they have to turn Case Keenum into Blake Bortles, basically. And last weekend with Cam Newton, uh, you know, it should have been a matchup in theory. Cam Newton had been really struggling as a passer. Should have been a matchup where the Saints had a big advantage. Instead, Cam at 350 yards with basically Kalen Clay operating as his number one receiver. Uh, could have had over that. 400. Yeah, could have had over 400 yards if Ken Crawley hadn't literally tackled Kalen Clay twice for defensive pass interference. So the Saints' pass defense has to show up more than it did last week. And uh, because the Vikings will be committed to the run, we know that. But uh, they're, they're going to run no matter what. But, like, I feel like the X factor is they can't they can't let, uh, really, you know, the middling talent like Case Keenum make any big plays. And if this it's the kind of game I think it's going to be low scoring. With the Vikings, they get two or three big plays, either in the running game or the passing game. It might kind of be lights out for the Saints. So I think priority number one has to be just completely, you know, accepting that maybe the running game will do some damage, but, like, just having to completely erase Case Keenum. And I forgot to mention that the Steelers are seven and a half point favorites over the Jaguars. Uh, the Vikings are actually four point favorites over the Saints, which is not much when considering they're at home. Pat, two names who I think are not the underappreciated, underlooked 
uh, players on the field, but ones that I think can have a, a major factor and perhaps win it for the Vikings. Jarek McKinnon and Stephon Diggs. I mean, we all love Adam Thielen, right? He's a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. I'll say that. He absolutely is. But Stephon Diggs has a better chance to score touchdowns, especially when they get closer to the red zone. And when you look at what the Saints have given up in the passing game over the last five games, two great games by Julio Jones, and obviously Stephon Diggs isn't Julio Jones, but seven catches, 149, five catches, 98 yards. Then Chris Godwin, seven catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. And then Devin Funches last week, who could have had much more, uh, four catches and 79 yards. And Diggs is on quite a streak here. So, again, wouldn't be surprised at all to see Stephon Diggs outshine a great player in Adam Thielen. Yeah, I completely – I really agree with them uh, as X-Factors because kind of like I said before, I think it's me. The Vikings are just going to need a few big plays to kind of really take control of the game. And Stephon Diggs and Jarek McKinnon are by like – not just by Viking standards, by NFL standards – like two of like kind of the above average big play threats in the entire NFL. And if the, yeah, if the saints let either one of them loose for a big gain or two, it's just going to be, it's going to be such a narrow margin game for the saints. I feel like, and yeah, yeah if they, they let, uh, they let someone pop an explosive play, uh, could be curtains. And I know a lot of people have been waiting on Jarek McKinnon to like finally have a season. And I actually think he had it this year and I know his, his opportunity might not have been great, but when he's been on the field and in that role for them, he's created some big plays. And he could definitely do that against some slower linebackers. I mean, we saw what – and he's – again, I wouldn't say he's Christian McCaffrey. But when you you know are down however many points the Panthers were and create a big play like that when the whole defense is not ready for it but trying not to give a big play, then your defense has a few problems in that area. So. Yeah, I was going to say, real quick, big congrats to Christian McCaffrey. Uh, for making better late a play. Than never, better late than never <laughs> for his first big play of the season. For real. I mean, it truly was the first time he's done something like that all year. It was. And you know, and it raised his, his round grades during best ball leagues this summer by at least two rounds. So. Yes, of course. And I think I completely agree with the, the idea that Jarek McKinnon kind of delivered this year finally. He was basically like a – I don't know, like a rich man's theoretic caught yep. like around 50 passes. Uh, wasn't like super dynamic on the ground, but was certainly, you know, if they were like wanted to keep him on the field for a few plays, they could hand it off to him. And it's not like it was just like token uh, passing back carries, just like keep the defense honest. I mean, he, right. he was a legit runner. And uh, yeah, expectations as they're are known uh, got out of hand in dynasty leagues, but it was like uh, the Vikings, they would probably have taken the season you know, nine times out of ten from Jarek McKinnon when they drafted him if they knew he could uh, provide this kind of year. So, yeah. All right, Pat. Thanks so much, buddy. Uh, I guess we'll talk to you next week. I'll be at the Shrine game for all of you out there. That's in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'll be covering the practices. And the following week, I'll be at the Senior Bowl. Um, so be sure to check out that stuff over at rotoworld.com. A reminder, you can check out Evan's matchups column over at rotoworld. You can check out Reeves' rankings over on the website as well. And you can check out Pat at rotopat on Twitter. So until <laughs> next time, <laughs> talk it's to you It's a quiet writing month for me. <laughs> See ya. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.